Um, Tonight we're reading from Hebrews, um, chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and your righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a rope. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Good evening. It's a real privilege to be here to share God's word with you. So how about we bow our heads in prayer first. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you give us your word and you tell us that it's the best message. And Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray that you'll speak through my words and pray that you'll convict us all of the supremacy of Jesus. Pray that you'll pray that you'll speak through my words today. In Jesus' name, amen. A famous film director by the name of Ingar Bergman, one day he was dreaming and he had this vision of being in a magnificent 19th century Romanesque cathedral hall. And in his vision, uh, Bergman wanders around this cathedral until he gets to this image, this portrait of Jesus. And seeing this image of Jesus, uh, Bergman realizes its importance and he exclaims, Speak to me. I will not leave this cathedral until you speak to me. But of course, the portrait did not speak. Bergman is not alone. In today's society, and especially us as Christians, 
we have this fascination of looking for Jesus and what he has to say. And sometimes we look for Jesus in the most interesting of places. It may not be a portrait, but we see all these hyped up images of Jesus. And just a disclaimer, I don't know if these are real photos or edited, but Jesus seems to pop up in food. In food again. In drinks. In doors. In plants. In in clouds, even in x-rays, and even in the Australian soccer team. (laughs) On a more serious note, many of us in the world look for Jesus and what he has to say in the wrong place. And ultimately, we become disappointed. And because of this, many, many people, including some Christians, have the wrong view of Jesus because we look for the wrong place to see what he has to say. This results in Jesus and his message oscillating or changing from being at the top of our lives where he rightfully belongs and deserves to be to being maybe just one of a number of messages in your life or even to the bottom, even a message that doesn't really influence someone's life. Hopefully all of us know that the only true place to find and know Jesus is in the scriptures and the author of the Hebrews um, begins his argument with this big idea that Jesus is the best message. And hopefully that's what David, Pastor David brought home last week. In fact, through the whole book of Hebrews, there's this ongoing pattern that the author keeps repeating and saying, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. In fact, 11 times through the book, the author repeats this phrase, Jesus is better than the angels, than Moses, than the prophets, than the priests, than the sacrificial system. Today's passage looks at the idea that Jesus is the best message. And in verse 4, as we read before, the author introduces the first argument in this book and says that Jesus is better or more superior than the angels. So just to clarify the topic a little bit, I just want to digress for a few seconds and speak about what angels are biblically and why the topic of angels Uh, Contrary to what society tells us about angels, the Bible records angels as messengers of God. Uh, The word angel in both Greek and Hebrew uh, comes from the word messengers. You might be asking why angels? Why does the author compare Jesus with angels? Well, if we read our Bibles and especially the Old Testament real carefully, we see that angels play quite a significant part in God's dealings with the world. I did a word search on my ESV Bible and I just typed in angel of the Lord. And in Genesis, at least 10 times it says, the angel of the Lord said, or the angel of the Lord spoke. Uh, The story of Moses and the burning bush, uh, we all know about that. In Exodus 3 verse 2 it says, the angel of the Lord appeared. In Acts 7.53, the apostle Stephen is just about to be martyred. And he says to the Pharisees, you who received the law through angels. Angels were widely recognized in Jewish history as uh, the messengers of the Ten Commandments or the Old Covenant to Moses. So basically, if we look at the whole Bible, uh, we can split the Bible into two big messages. The first is the Old Testament message um, 
and it's about the old covenant and it's from God through the angels. And then we look at the New Testament message, which is the second big message in the Bible. It's believed also to have come from God, but this time, instead of coming from the angels, it's coming through Jesus. And as uh, David, Pastor David said last week, the issue in the Hebrews was about the message. In verse 1 in Hebrews, as we remember, it says, God spoke or conveyed his message through various ways. But in the last days, God spoke or conveyed his message through his son, Jesus. The issue in the Hebrews was not with the source of the message. They both recognized that they're both from God. But rather the issue was with uh, the messenger or the messenger of the message, or in these days we could call it the postman or the delivery man or the middleman. I'll give you an illustration. Uh, I really like Apple. I really like my Apple products. And if you guys don't know, the iPad 3 is apparently going to be released in March. I'm a big Apple fan, but I'm not a big enough Apple fan to go and drive to Chermside, wait all night, and be in line for many hours to wait for a new iPad 3. So what I'll probably do is I'll pre-order it online. And if you guys know online shopping, you click buy, go to the checkout, and then you go to shipping options, and then you get a number of choices. I could either go with Australia Post. It's cheap. When I was in uni, it was the only option. But in reality, it's unreliable. It takes ages to ship, and there could be a risk of a shifty mailroom sorter or a postman trying to steal my precious iPad 3. Or I could go with the second option, which is um, probably the more reliable of messengers, which is either DHL or FedEx pay a chunk of money, which I can probably now afford, for 100% couriered, tracked, insured, and guaranteed delivery. I'm not doubting the source here. I trust the Apple Store. I love the Apple Store. But my issue here is with the delivery method, and it's the no-brainer for my precious iPad. I'm going to trust it with the most reliable messenger that I possibly can. We can use the same principle to look at the argument in Hebrews 1. The recipients of the letter were discussing the greatest message, not just an iPad 3, but God's message. And they were stuck, as you could say, on the shipping page. The issue was with the trust and the reliability of the delivery method of the message. They weren't sure who they could trust more with the message of God, the new message which comes through Jesus or the old message which came through the angels For these particular Christians to believe the New Testament message of Jesus, that instead of being binded by the law and by the sacrificial system, that they could be saved from their sins by trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. For these particular Christians to believe this fact, they need to know and to believe that Jesus is more reliable and more trustworthy, or as the passage puts it, more better or superior to the angels. I believe that this passage really applies to us today because I know that all of us can be found on the shipping selection page in our lives. I doubt any of us are choosing between the reliability of Jesus compared to the angels. But I think we have a similar dilemma in our lives of do we trust Jesus or do we trust what the world says? Do we trust Jesus or do we trust what our minds say? Do we trust Jesus or what the media is telling us? 
Do you trust Jesus or what the celebrities are telling us? Do you trust Jesus or my wife, my husband, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, depending how good they are? Or do you trust Jesus or my non-Christian friends? What do you have in your life that is better than Jesus? As we look at this passage in Hebrews, I believe that God is really lifting up our view of Jesus above the angels, above ourselves, above everything else, to be more than just a silent portrait, but to be the best, the supreme message in our lives. So let's have a look at chapter 1. In chapter 1, as we read, verse 4 gives us the main argument. It says that Jesus is superior to the angels. Verses 5 to 14 is a list of five qualities which of Jesus which demonstrate that Jesus is better than the angels. The author here in these verses uh, use about f- seven different references from Old Testament passages to prove his argument. And as we read this quote, these quotes, we need to remember that the recipients were Jewish Christians and they knew the Old Testament really well. So quoting one Old Testament verse would have reminded them of the context of the chapters of all these passages. And so as we look at these references, uh, we'll touch only lightly on the Old Testament context. But if you have time and any of these verses really intrigue you, I really encourage you to have a look at them later on. So five characteristics demonstrating the the superiority of Jesus. The first characteristic is about the relationship to the Father. When I was in primary school, I used to invite one of my best friends over to my place quite a lot. But after a while, I really became jealous of him coming around because my parents would treat him really nice, even better than me on some occasions. So I got really upset after a couple of months and being a kid, it got to a point where I just lost it and exploded in front of my parents. After a bit of ranting and tantrum, my parents reassured me by saying, look Josh, you're our son and we're your parents. We love you and you'll always be the most important to us because of that. Similarly, as we look in verse 5, what the author is trying to say here in this first point is that if we can establish a direct relationship between God and either Jesus or the angels, then that's a big factor in telling us which one or who is better or more important out of the two. So if we begin reading at verse 5, if you have your Bibles, it says, For to which of of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. The author asks this rhetorical question, which pretty much says that God has not called any of his angels God's one and only son. Let's have a look at these references and see what they actually say. The first reference in verse 5, You are my son, today I've become your father, comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 2, verse 7. Time restricts us from having a look at Psalm 2 in great detail. But if you have a read of it, Psalm chapter 2 is a messianic psalm it looks forward to the Messiah King, or the Christ, the King from the line of David who would rule God's kingdom. And in Psalm 2, verse 7, as the author gets to verse 7, he says that this King is God's Son. 
The second quote, which is quite similar, uh, it says, I'll be his father and he will be my son. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And in this chapter, King David is asking the prophet Nathan if he can build a temple or house for the ark of God. And God replies in this chapter to Samuel 11. He says, The Lord declares you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, or when King David dies, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And it's, this, it's to this person that God says, I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. From this chapter, it says that David wasn't going to build God's house, but someone in the line of David would, and he would rule forever. And in verse 14, at the end, it says, when he does wrong, he'll be punished. This description of this king wasn't about David, nor was it about his son Solomon. But if we match the description together, line of David, punished, ruling forever, this is God's son. The only perfect match is Jesus. So just to sum up verse 5 and this first characteristic about the relationship with God the Father, Jesus is God's son. Angels are not, and they're never called God's one and only son, and therefore Jesus is greater. The second characteristic is from verse 6, and it's about the worship. I'm sure many of you have seen enthronement ceremonies, whether it's on TV in the news or it's on movies like at the end of Lord of the Rings, that whenever the newly crowned king stands up, all of the people in his presence bow down suddenly in worship, in recognition that the king is greater than them. In verse 6, the author writes, And again, when, the God, when God brings his firstborn, or Jesus, into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Jesus is being worshipped by angels. This quote here is from Psalm chapter 97, verse 7. And in this psalm, the psalmist writes about the reign of God and how everything in this world worships and rejoices in the Lord. Verse 7 says, All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols, worship him, all you gods, little g, means that anything lower than the Lord worships God, including the angels. We read of this happening in Luke 2. If you remember, all the angels singing glory in the highest to the baby Jesus. And we also see this in Revelation chapter 5, where John has a vision of Jesus being worshipped by thousands upon thousands of angels. So to sum up this second part about worship, Jesus is worshipped by angels, and angels are worshippers of Jesus, obviously. Therefore, Jesus is greater again. The third characteristic is about the position description or what their role actually is. I've worked in a number of places in the past few years and there's one workplace that really stands out for me. In this workplace, it's very clear who was boss. 
He had a separate room from the rest of us. He rocked up at work at 10 a.m. and left work at about 2 or 3 in the afternoon. He would always be out for meetings, lunches, socials and stuff like that. He was the one who paid us, unfortunately. He was the only one who had the authority and the privilege of bossing us around and getting mad or angry or yelling at us when, he, when we did something he didn't like. And that's not here, just letting you know. <laughs> just like my workplace, but in a much more positive way. Uh, in Psalm 104 and Psalm 45, the two quotes in verse 7 and verse 8, they talk about the workplace of the world and the role of the angels and the role of God's Son, Jesus. Verse 7 firstly quotes from Psalm 104, verse 4. This psalm speaks about everything praising God's greatness, and it says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Angels are under God, they're his servants and his angels. In verse 8 to 9, it goes on and quotes Psalm 45 and talks about Jesus. Psalm 45 is a wedding song about a king. If we read the quote, um, the two people addressed in this verse as God. In verse 8, the wedding director addresses God by saying, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Then in verse 9, it says, Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions. It seems like there's two gods addressed here. But if we read it carefully, uh, it's really God the Father addressing God the Son, who is also obviously God. So from verses 8 to 10, we can deduce that Jesus will have a throne. It will last forever. And he is anointed, so he's king. Piece that together and it means that Jesus is the eternal king. He is king forever. So to sum up the third characteristic about position description Jesus is eternal king and angels are servants of the king and yet again Jesus is greater the fourth characteristic is about the existence or the beginnings of these two beings last week I was in Sydney and I had the chance to go to Jamie Oliver's restaurant if you don't know Jamie Oliver is a renowned chef and he creates really interesting and great tasting food. When Jamie Oliver makes a dish and we eat it, we don't say, man, that food is good. We attribute the food to the chef. So rather we say, man, Jamie Oliver is a good chef, and he is. We attribute create the creation to the creator. The creator is more superior than its creation. And in verses 10 to 12 in this chapter, is taken from Psalm 102. This psalm is a lament, or it's a rant, about how everything in life is rather meaningless and dull. But then it goes on to praise God and the eternal qualities of God. So let's read verses 10 to 12. It says, In the beginning, Lord, so Jesus was there before creation. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So Jesus is the creator of all, including the heavens. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Jesus is eternal. 
If Jesus is creator, that means the angels are created by Jesus. To sum up this fourth characteristic about the existence or the beginnings of the two, Jesus is the uncreated creator and angels are created by Jesus. And again, therefore, Jesus is greater. The fifth and final characteristic is about the current role or what they're doing now. Verse 13 is a quote from Psalm 110. It describes God's rule. And again, this has this strange discussion of God referring to himself where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. God is referring to Jesus again and illustrates that Jesus is God sitting on the throne. The idea that Jesus is sitting on the throne means that his work is done. And more specifically, it's about his work of salvation, that he's come and died on the cross, risen again, and he's sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 14, as we read on, puts the angels in their rightful place by telling us that they minister and they serve the saved. So to sum up this final characteristic about their current role, Jesus is right now ruling at the throne. And angels are right now serving and ministering. So just to put it all together, Jesus is God's son. He's worshipped by angels. He's eternal king. He's the uncreated creator. He's ruling at God's throne right now. And compare that to the angels. They aren't God's one and only son. They worship Jesus. They're servants They're created beings, and right now they're ministering and serving. So if we look at that comparison, it's emphatic that Jesus is supreme over the angels, which is what the author is arguing. Therefore, the message of Jesus, if we go back a step, that the message of Jesus, if they could be saved from their sins by putting their trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, is better than the message of the angels the Old Testament covenant and the law. Jesus is better than the angels. Therefore, his message is better than the angels' message. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, simply put, amongst all the teachings, all the influences and all the messages in the world today, Jesus is still the best message. Maybe today has been the first time you've really seen Jesus this way, as being the supreme and most important message. I really encourage you to find out more about this Jesus person. Pick up a Bible and read it for yourself or talk to one of the pastors and leaders after the service. Or maybe for a lot of us, I hope, we already follow Jesus and that at some stage in our life we've seen Jesus in this light as the supreme, the best message. But maybe Jesus has slowly moved from being from the top, being at the top, to being one of many, to even being below other messages and influences in the world. Jesus was once the best message that excited you, but now it's become same old, same old. Just like in youth group, they answer, he died and rose again. God, Jesus, Bible. It's not exciting, is it? In your mind, Jesus has gone from God's Son, worshipped by all, eternal King, uncreated creator, ruling at God's throne, to being just some static portraits 
or some plastic Jesus in your life. He looks cute, he's hardly influential, he's hardly inspirational or hardly life-changing. As we've read Hebrews 1 tonight, I hope it's given us an accurate and refreshing representation of Jesus. And Jesus calls us to put him where he rightfully belongs, supreme over all. And I think we struggle to do this. We all do in certain parts of our lives. We elevate other messages and other influences over the authority of Jesus when Jesus is supposed to be supreme over all. Just to wrap up tonight, uh, here's a list of five different issues which I believe we have a tendency to elevate over the authority of Jesus. And I don't know which one speaks to you the most, so please have a... Have a listen, be open-minded, and if there's anything that God is convicting you about tonight, please have a think and pray to God about it. First, firstly, tradition. We elevate the importance of how we do things above the message of Jesus. For example, we might say that the way we do church service is more important than the message of Jesus or that being baptised a certain way, or being a member of a church is more important than the message of Jesus. Secondly, ourselves. We elevate our own wants and our needs, our desires and our preferences over what Jesus wants of us. In the song we sang before, it says, Jesus wants us to be a living sacrifice, 100% for him. But we elevate ourselves over the message of Jesus. Thirdly, the media. The media is quite a strong and powerful tool today. And we elevate what the media tells us is right over what Jesus tells us is right. Whether it's about religion, relationships, morality, and about life in general. The fourth one is probably a big one. Human rights. We elevate the message of human rights over the message of salvation through Jesus. I'm not saying that human rights isn't important, but I, but I think that sometimes we make it so important that the message of Jesus comes under it. I know many of us, and me included, are very passionate about human rights awareness, but Jesus is the best message, and his message of sal- salvation is more important than human rights. And human rights is really a powerful tool when it's combined with the message of the gospel, salvation through Jesus. And finally, individualism. We elevate the liberty of choice, that people can hold on to whatever truth they want. And we, we put that over the necessity to tell others about the message of Jesus. Five different issues. Maybe you can recognise one or a couple of these in your life. And if you're not sure about that, feel free to talk to me or any of the pastors after the service. Maybe you can recognise one or a couple of these that you may have elevated above the message of Jesus. What Jesus is saying today is that I am supreme. Jesus is supreme. It's time for us to deal with these issues and to recognise that Jesus is the best message, supreme overall. We need to listen to Jesus first and foremost. We need to get rid of our portraits and our plastic Jesus in our lives and instead to look to scriptures. Hebrews 1, great example. 
and to be wowed again by the superiority of Jesus overall. Jesus is the best message. Let's pray.